You're listening to the Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast with Terrence Murphy, where we cover sales, investing, and entrepreneurship with an emphasis on real estate. Each podcast, Terrence and his guests will bring you informative and inspiring information within the real estate industry. So you're here on the Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. I'm excited to have another amazing real estate entrepreneur, Doug French, CEO of Stylecraft. It's a production home building company that operates in Central Texas, hubs here in Aggieland out of Bryan College Station. They continue to expand across the state, and it's one of the largest private home building companies in the country. They're building over 800 homes a year, which is staggering. It's amazing. Doug also operates Leading Realty Group and a company that owns and manages 120 single family homes. So he's building a nice size portfolio. And the Red Door Homes is a building company that focuses on building homes for clients who already own their lot or their land in rural areas. He's happily married to his wife of 12 years, Kara French, and their two children, Hadley and Benton French. Excited to have him here today with me. So I'm excited for another episode of The Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. Excited to have a good friend here with me today. We've been, we've known each other for almost 15 years. I've known his dad. He introduced me to him. Uh, Doug French, CEO of Stylecraft. And uh, before I jump into the episode, I always start off with a quote, a real estate quote or a scripture or something that kind of inspires people. And today is it's a simple one from Mark Twain. It's buy land. They aren't making any more of it. Or another one is buy earth. Earth is the best investment, right? And so with us both being real estate entrepreneurs, I wanted to have you on the show and just kind of talk about your business, talk about opportunities you see in the market. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me today, Doug. Yeah, Terrence, I'm super excited. I'm excited for this for, for you and just getting out getting out there and, and putting your positivity and, and what you're doing here in Bryan College Station and taking that elsewhere, man. So I'm honored to be here, Terrence. Thanks for having me. It's going to be fun just to sit down and catch up. Yeah, it's going to be good, man. We've been to lunch a couple of times and pretty much that's what we're going to do today. Just talk shop. As we get into it, one of the things I want to talk about, just tell me a little bit about your journey. You know, obviously walk me through A to Z and then just how you got into the real estate industry. So kind of a little, little bit about my uh, my background. So I went to Texas A&M and, and honestly, you know, kind of going back a little bit further than that, I had a pretty rough uh, childhood and, you know, if you looked at it from an outsider, you certainly wouldn't think that. I came from a lot, a lot of money. My father was a successful businessman, but I had a lot of struggles. So as a, as a high school student, I got addicted to Xanax and Valium and smoked a lot of pot and uh, just really got on the on the wrong direction, Terrence. It was it was kind of a long road. And I woke up one day and ended up getting arrested a couple of times and um, just thought, what in the heck am I doing? And I never set out to be in, in the spot that I was when I, when I hit bottom. I didn't set out to be unhappy and suicidal and and just like, man, this this isn't working. And so ended up going to another drug rehab facility. I was 18 years old. This is the fourth one I'd already been to, so if that tells you anything. Uh, when I left jail the last time, the other inmates in there literally told me to get help. And so that, it's, it's a wake-up call, right? And so I, I hit rock bottom, and that's when I turned my life around. And I got really involved in a 12-step program and Got introduced to to higher power, you know, God and Jesus Christ. It really, really turned my life around. I was very involved in that program for a long time, and it's been kind of a journey ever since then. So when I got back, I wanted to, I wanted to get back in school. I wanted to go to school, and so I finished, got my high school diploma, got my GED, then my high school diploma, and then um, I went to Blint, and that's what I needed. I, I had never studied a day in my life, and so I had no clue. I had no, you know, just educational skills or or anything. But what I was able to do is I was able to get in there and work hard. And I realized, you know, number one, I'm, I'm a pretty sharp guy, and I don't say that arrogantly, but I am. I've been gifted in that way, and then I have a really strong work ethic. I'm very, very driven. 
and I want to succeed and I want people to like me. And so I went in there and really, and really busted it. And so I had a lot of ground to make up, but I had a lot of success in school. So I went to blend for about really three and a half years and transferred into A&M, got a psychology degree. I worked all through college. And then me and my wife met, Kara. At and, A&M? Uh, yeah, yeah, at A&M. We, so I was involved in nonprofit ministry, SOS Ministries. I'm sure you're, you're aware of SOS. You're local. They do a lot of really good for inner city. And so I was working there, uh, kind of doing some event planning and some public relations. And Carol was a volunteer in the children's ministry. And so we met there, you know, and, and started dating and, and kind of went from there. So we got married right after A&M, went to grad school at Baylor, went and got my MBA there. Loved that. For me, it was it was very, very valuable. Now, I come, like I said, from from mean, and, and so I didn't have to go into any debt. And so I'm not ever going to advocate anybody to, to get a, a degree and have $100,000 worth of debt unless you're an, you're an engineer or a doctor or something like that. And so I was very fortunate that I was able to get through school with no debt. I, I went to Baylor on a full academic scholarship as well. So that definitely- That was a blessing. Definitely helps out. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And then I came back and um, I graduated in 2008, not the best time. Um, so timing was poor. Market. It was a really tough market, but I got out and, you know, originally I kind of, you know, I had a lot of pride and I didn't want to be known as, as Randy French's son for the rest of my life, right? No, that's just the boss's kid. So I didn't want to go work for my father originally. Uh, what I wanted to do is kind of go make my own way. Then hopefully my dad one day would call me home, you know, Hey Doug, I really need your help. Come home. That was kind of my dream. Yep. And I thought, man, like that's not a good reason for not going and working for, for my, for my family, for the family business. You know, why am I going to go out here and try to prove myself to everybody else? So they'll think better or more highly of me. Like I need to go do what, what I'm passionate about and what I enjoy. And I always wanted to start a company. So I'm like, why would I ever want to go and try to build something on my own? My dad has such a good platform. Man, that's and a blessing. So, yeah. So it, it, it's been great. So I was able to come back to Stylecraft. And, uh, and what year was that? That was, I think it was 2009, Terrence. So I've been there 11, 12 years now, kind of full time. I've been in my current role as CEO probably seven or eight years now. So the first couple of years, you know, dad was still kind of running things and I slowly but surely, uh, you know, kind of uh, took over. He had a little health scare there for a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, when that happened is kind of what what thrust me into, okay, Doug, you got to step up and, and, and take over. He wasn't able to, to kind of juggle things like he had in the past. Well, let's walk through that journey, yeah. though. So I don't want people to think that you just graduated and became the CEO, right? <laughs> so yeah. walk through that journey when you started in 09. So the very first thing I did, Terrence, which which was really a lot of fun, it's kind of a cool story, is I got a finance background. So I love accounting, I love finance. I'm a numbers guy. And so the first thing I literally did was I just dug it in the general ledger. Wow. And I just started looking at expenses. And what I realized really quickly, if we had phone lines that we've been paying for for four or five years that we don't even know where they went. I would call the number, it would ring and ring and ring and ring and no one would ever pick up. Like we're paying a hundred dollars a month for this phone line for four years. Um, and so I, I did a lot of stuff like that. And that's just one small example, but I looked up in about 60 days into my job, I'd saved the company $90,000 just by going in and doing, doing things like that. So I really got in and I just kind of plugged in holes where, where things were missing. HOAs, homeowner associations, Definitely a necessary evil in real estate. Definitely not a, a fun part, but that's something we had neglected as a company. Mm -hmm. And so we would we would build these neighborhoods and develop these neighborhoods and never even collect HOA dues. But then when you go to turn it over, you got to pay them. Yes. All of a sudden now people have to pay them. Well, guess what? They weren't saying, hey, Stylecraft, thank you so much for paying my HOA due for the last 10 years. They're saying, hey, you never told me we had an HOA due. You know, you, you kind of forget those things, mm -hmm. you know? If you haven't paid it for 10 years, now you're not in the habit of doing that. And so I got in there and hired a third, really quickly realized, well, we don't want to manage these things. So hired a third party. So that was another kind of thing that I got in there and, and was able up. to help out with. Yeah. 
I worked on some pricing mod- models and, and that sort of thing. And then I really got involved in the development side of the business. And so my father really took me along to all the engineering meetings, all the meetings with the cities, the city council meetings and all that sort of thing. So I got some experience with development. And still to this day, if you ask me what are the, the aspects of the company I'm most involved with, most plugged in, it's going to be the finance side of things. And then the development side of things. Awesome. Um, and then, you know, slowly but surely, you know, all of the all of the executive team started re- reporting to me. And that didn't happen overnight. That was three or four years in. And, and that's kind of getting back to what I said about the, the health scare my father had. Kind of when that happened, that's when I, I had to really kind of step up and start taking more of a, a leadership role within the company. And I yeah. think by that time, you know, I, I really wanted to come in and not be like, you know, you always hear the horror stories about, you know, the boss's dad, you know, the boss's kid is here now. Right. <laughs> and he's spoiled rotten and he just wants everything handed to him. And so I took the I took the the attitude, Terrence, that it wasn't it wasn't like a asset that I was a boss's kid. It was a it was a liability. Mm-hmm. And I had to get in there. I had to work twice as hard as everybody else. And I had to do the right thing more than everybody else to kind of earn my keep. And yeah. part of that's just me. I'm, I'm prideful and I want people to really respect me and and think that I'm doing a good job. And so I got in there and really, really busted it and worked and worked hard. And I did the same thing everybody else did. You know, back then, your first year. At Stalkraft, you didn't get a vacation. You got five days sick when you first, and I did the same thing. Now, my, if I wanted to talk to my father, he would have gladly given me vacation days, but I wasn't going to do that. If yeah. everybody else was expected not to take a vacation the first year, I'm not going to do that either. And so that was really my attitude. And, you know, and, and so I think that helped me kind of uh, develop some trust and uh, w- with the team and a lot of respect there as well. No, that's good, bro. And I think there's a lesson to be learned. A couple podcasts back, we had a similar narrative about. When you're transitioning into something, you got to really humble yourself. And it's like any team, military team, heck, family, right? If you just want to run in and you got to earn people's trust, yep. they got to know you care about them. They got to know you can actually lead. It's like trying to be a captain on the football team. And we talked about this with our company. If you hadn't scored any touchdowns and you're not playing, it's hard to be out front talking. Yeah. You did that, though, by humbling yourself and earning their trust. And like you said, getting into the weeds. And just kind of play in your role until it was time to kind of got sure. move you up. For sure. Yeah, just kind of bide my time and not trying to step into something too quick. And you know, and I, I see people do that a lot, Terrence. You know, they'll they'll come in, they'll come in too hot, you know. And 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 that's the first thing I'd tell anybody. If we when we hire a manager, you know, who kind of comes into an established team, the first piece of advice I give them is, hey, don't go in so hot. Your job is to help your team. You need to go in there and say, Hey, how can I serve you? How can I help you? And if you're going in there, you know, guns are blazing, like it's not going to go well. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's not the type of heart that we're looking for in a manager. So if that's what you want to do here, this isn't going to work well. Cause that's not our culture. You know, we, we come in, like you said, with a humble attitude and Hey, how can I get in here and make your job uh, easier on you? And how can I make you more successful? Cause ultimately if your people underneath you are successful, you're successful all day, Yeah, all day long. Mm-hmm. And so your job as a manager, your job as a leader is to give people the resources they need to succeed and get get, get the heck out of the way yeah. and offer some support, build them up, let them run, encourage them and let them run. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, that's good, bro. So for the average listener, obviously it's not local because everybody knows Randy French here. Yeah. Everybody knows Doug. Everybody knows your company. So for our audience, kind of walk me through who you are, what you are, and kind of the different arms that you have, right? So the development, the new construction, the rural construction, the investment properties, just give me a bird's eye view because you are you are the typical real estate entrepreneur. 
And talking a little bit about our growth too, when I first started, I think when I first came to the company, we had about, we had 30 something employees. We were doing about $40 million in sales a year from, from what I recall. Actually, it was less than that. And I think we're selling about 200 homes a year. This year, we'll close close to 800 homes. Wow. Uh, we have 160 employees. We're com- coming up on 160 employees. And so Stylecraft is definitely, um, you know, kind of a- Time bread- out. You yeah. went from 200 homes a year to 800 homes a year. So built and sold. Yes, sir. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, this year- Forex the business. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Exactly. Sorry. And, and, w- and one thing a lot of people don't understand about Stylecraft, even here local, that the people that know us is half of our companies in Waco, Temple, Clean. And mm-hmm. so h- half of those houses, 400 of them are coming out of that region. And then we're we're going into Houston right now. We've always been in Burnham and Huntsville. And of course, Brian College Station, Navasota. Mm-hmm. We recently opened up Caldwell. We're in Tomball now. And then we're in Angleton. And next year, we're going to Texas City. And we're looking at Georgetown, Gerald. Marble Falls, kind of that Horseshoe Bay area as well. So we're, we're excited about those growth opportunities. We really feel like the sky's the limit. We feel like we have a really good, really good system, a really good thing in place. And we're just trying to get out there and kind of replicate it. So right now, that, that's really what I focus on. And that's really my job right now, Terrence, is getting out there and finding new markets. So and, vision and growth exactly, and expansion. Exactly. Yeah. And I want to dive into that a little bit. So Stylecraft is a production home building company. It's almost like if you go into to buy a car, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't come to us and say, hey, you know, I got this really cool architect or, hey, I I printed this plan off of plans.com or or whatever. And will you build me this house? We're going to say, no, sorry. Yeah. What we have is we have neighborhoods and they're predefined neighborhoods on predefined platted lots. And then we have predefined plans, predefined colors, predefined options. So you can kind of come in and it's called mass customization. So you can come in, you can pick your lot, you can pick your plan, you can pick the options that you want, you can pick the colors but it's all within our system. Now you can't go to Lowe's and say, hey, I found this really cool tile that I like at Lowe's. Will you install, install it as my backsplash? The answer is no. We, no. Have our, we have our eight backsplashes. This is what you get to choose from. And the reason we do that is because that's our process mm-hmm. and that's our system. Yeah, and that's we, your secret sauce. Exactly. And then when we go outside of that, guess what happens? We, we screw up. And mm-hmm. so when we screw up, we lose money. We're frustrated. The customer's frustrated. And so that that's the type of discipline that we've had to really develop. You know, 10 years ago, and I still get realtors that call that, hey, well, your dad did it this way, Doug, or whatnot. I'm like, yeah, but we're a different company now, guys. And my dad was a lot more shoot from the hip. You know, <laughs> you come in, I want to make you feel good, you know, and that's kind of his personality. And he obviously was very, very successful at that. But what, what I had to grow is a scalable business. Mm-hmm. And the only way you're going to have a scalable business is by having systems and processes in place. And unfortunately, we don't have the system to track you going down to Lowe's and buying that backsplash and us installing it correctly. It's not mm-hmm. going to happen. We have a really good system to install these eight options that we have. And I know that we'll do a very good job of that. And you'll be happy with that process. Mm-hmm. So that's that's Stylecraft in a, in a nutshell. Again, 160 employees, 800 houses. We're, we're projecting to do over 1,000 next year. So wow. got some really good growth. This year, our backlog is really, really strong. So the amount of houses we have sold that have not closed going into this next year uh, we're probably going to be about half half of that thousand going into next year. Wow. Already sold somewhere in our pipeline, ready to close. So excited about already four hundred to five hundred homes pending going into quarter one, quarter two. That's awesome. Yeah, bro. exactly. Yeah, so we're really, really feeling good about that. It's, yeah. it's been a really strong market. And then I have a rental property company. It's called Leading Real Estate. Mm-hmm. And what we do there, and it started off, I just would build a couple rental houses a year. Yep. And we've talked about this off yeah, and on. Exactly. Yeah. So it, they would be in the neighborhoods that we're in. And typically when we had capacity, so let's say we're starting a new neighborhood, we don't have a ton of momentum there. The superintendent has four or five houses going and kind of twiddling his thumbs. Like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and plug three or four more in. I feel like there'll be a good rental market here. 
And that's kind of what I would do. And so now that we've grown, we had about 150 houses now. Wow. Uh, some of those are duplexes. 150 single family houses are duplexes. Yes. Yeah. So that's your sweet spot. Yep. Yeah. And um, we, what we try to focus on is, um, number one, providing a single family home for about the same price that you could go and, and uh, rent a multifamily unit for. Mm-hmm. And so we feel like if we can provide you a single family home with a backyard, a two car garage, for about the same price, you could get a multifamily unit. We think that we have a Pick really good shot at getting that renter to come to us. And, and that's what we've seen. And so we focus on this. We focus on the young families. We've always done that. The young professionals, um, even here in College Station, I don't, I don't know. I own one uh, student property. Uh, I don't. And so families uh, is your gig. Exactly. Exactly. So that's what we do well. That's what we know. And so I really took what we did at Stylecraft and just really kind of leveraged that. And so what we're doing now, though, Terrence, we're going and doing larger projects. So mm-hmm. we're going into a, a deal in Temple. It's in Belton ISD, a very good school district. We're going to build 50 single family homes within probably, it'll be quarter one of 2021. So within three or four months, we'll we'll build fifty houses, and uh, we'll get those leased up. Lease them all up there at the same exactly. time. Exactly, yeah. And so the, in the lending on that will be probably it's kind of almost like a multifamily deal, though. That's really the structure of it. You know, you get a two year interest only loan. Yep. Uh, to get to get it built and get it leased up and get it stabilized, and then you kind of flip into some sort of you know permanent, more permanent type structure. Love it. And um, yeah, so that so we're looking at bigger projects. And the reason we're doing that is I can't go. It's hard to grow a, a company building two or three houses here or there, right? Yeah, it's tough. And, and sales are so good right now, too. It's hard for me to say, hey, sales executive, sorry, I'm going to take these four or five lots from you and I'm going to build a rental property on it. Mm-hmm. So, so you that, decided you're going to separate the neighborhood. Exactly. That's move. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so, so we're kind of doing that. And you're starting to see a lot of hedge funds are starting to move into that single family. Yep. And I'm starting to see, because, you know, a single family rental, SFR, yep. I'm starting to see BFR built for rental. Rent. Exactly. So, um, so BFR has been a new acronym I've been seeing a lot. And so that's pretty much what you're doing. You're separating them and saying, Hey, I got my new construction. Cause that's your gig, right? No remodeling, yep. no tearing down and demo. You're just going to develop the land, build the house. And now instead of taking a couple of the lease, you're just saying the whole neighborhood is going to be exactly. in a great location and exactly. I'm going to lease them up. And I mean, that's what we do well. Yeah. So we, I, I feel strongly that no one's going to get in there uh, and be able to do a, a better job of that than we are. I think our my cost basis is going to be less uh, than any kind of investor coming in trying to do something like that. Mm-hmm. We have the relationships with the developers already. We know the good schools. We know the towns. We have the infrastructure to do it. And so it's just kind of growing that. And the other thing, you know, you hit on it, Terrence. It's it's almost a new it's a new asset class that we're seeing yep. kind of right before our eyes and. Everything I'm reading says there's probably about a 10-year uh, runway on this thing. It's going to be way, way underbuilt is, yep. is what everybody feels like. Yep. And so we're actually, an, another company we're starting right now, we're doing our first project in Tomball, Texas for a, a third-party investor group. We're going and building for them. And so yeah. there's 41 single-family houses we're building right now. We poured 41 slabs in 15 days. And Everything so, at the same time. Oh, yeah. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to bang them all out. So. I need to catch up with you on that. Yeah. Because yeah. I got one I'm working on in College Station. It's going to be 19. Okay. Uh, and I'm building them all same time. I'm yep. gonna lease them out to families, right by the new high school. So we, uh, they, we need to connect. Yeah, yeah that, that that would do great. Yeah, that would do great. That's kind of where we're going there. Um, and so looking at, at really expanding on, on that some, and we have a pretty good pipeline of, of projects in front of us. Developers who want you guys to come in and just take it, exactly. build a suit A to Z. And, exactly. So yeah. we're doing our first deal right now. We're liking it so far. So we're gonna start looking at building out a team to just do that. That's awesome. To just bro. build. Um, you know, rental pro- properties or rental projects of that scale 
uh, for for third parties kind of all around the state of Texas. So That's good. Excited about that. I think we got some good runway there. I own a company called Red Door Homes, and it's really a license agreement. And so um, it's, it's almost like a franchise type deal. They do all, there's out of Florida, they do all the back office, all the accounting, all the uh, plan sets, all the POs, all the purchase orders and that sort of thing is out of Florida. And then our job here is to, is to sell the houses and get them built and, and warrant them. And that's uh, more rural, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's built on your lot. And so if, you know, it's typically, you know, grandma deeded me 10 acres, you know, we had some family land. She did, she deeded me 10 acres and now I'm going to go in and uh, I want to, I want to build a house out here. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of guys that'll do that, that are really, really expensive. And so we're trying to kind of get in there and be more of a value mm-hmm. play. Uh, my general manager there has, has came out of kind of the production home mindset. And so he's very, very conscientious of, of uh, efficiencies mm-hmm. and how to really build a good, a good product. And no one's really doing that. So there's definitely a hole in the market. And so those are, those are really our, our three major, uh, you know, kind of business ventures I'm involved in. So leading, leading real estate, which is the rental property company, mm-hmm. uh, Red Door Homes, which is the building your lot. Yeah. And that, that does about 30 homes. This year we'll do about 30 homes. That's good. Out of that. Yeah. This this is our second year in it, and uh, we feel like if we can get that up to about a hundred homes a year, uh, we'll have a really good good business here. And honestly, at thirty, we're really doing well. So I'm super super proud of our general manager Vince Rafino over there. He's doing a great job, and Michelle Mims runs our leading real real estate, and she does an awesome job in property management. And then Stockcraft's really doing well too. So Man, that's awesome. The, yeah, those are the, those are the three things that uh, definitely take up my time. Leading real estate, Red Door, and then obviously Stockcraft. You got it. Good. Got it. Yeah, and I wrote down, so you guys do development, new construction, obviously the rural new construction, single family rental slash BFR, and then now you're doing the third party stuff. So really, you got five kind of pillars now exactly of the three companies exactly and i know we'll probably get into this more and and one thing that i've that that really excites me about the red door homes and then also this build for a fee stuff is it's just the the capital structure of it's so different than what i'm dealing with the stylecraft stylecraft you got to go buy the dirt got to get a bank loan got to get it built typically if i'm building it for somebody if we're building it for somebody they're giving us a 500 dollars earnest money deposit there's not a whole lot of teeth in that deal mm-hmm. or we're building on the spec on a speculative basis where there's no customer attached at all. But building your lot, like if you want us to build you a house, it's your land. Number one, you go get the loan. And so the, um, the, the risk profile is so different there. And, and I, yeah. I really, I, that's, what's really attractive to that business model. And that's one of the reasons that I, I really want to get in there and kind of grow that deal because it's just, it's less risky. And the same thing going and building these projects for third parties. We're not getting the debt. The debt's not on our books. I'm not signing anything. Mm. And so they're getting the debt. We're going and doing the work and we're just we're just turning in GC. progress draws. You're just getting a GC on it. Exactly. And we're yeah. just turning in pro- progress draws. And so the the profit on it is is not as great as if we sold if we built it and sold it. But the risk is there's there's really no risk for us. Yeah, you're hedging your you're yeah. hedging it. Because on Stylecraft, you're carrying everything. Oh yeah. 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 No doubt. That no makes doubt. sense. And it requires a ton of capital yeah. to get development deals done. So, you know, we're making money, but we're constantly just shoveling it right back into the company. And mm-hmm. you know, that's just kind of the nature of of home building. Part of it. Yep, no doubt. So if I were a new investor or a new potential or aspiring developer, let's just focus on that space for a second. You know, let's say I own a couple of rental houses. I got a full time job, but my goal is to try to start getting into development. Where would you encourage me to start? If you gave me three steps, hey, go do this, this and this and then call me back. Right. What would be those three steps that you would encourage me to do if I wanted to be a developer? Yeah, there's there's a lot of lessons to be learned in development. And that, mm-hmm. that's what's so tricky about development. Yeah. Uh, when you're taking raw dirt into finished lots, every deal is so different. And so what, what I would tell you to do is to get a really good team around you. Mm-hmm. You need a really good attorney. 
Make sure there's no oil and gas issues. Make sure there's no liens on the property. Make sure there's no easements on, on the property that mm-hmm. you have to deal with. So you got to have a really, really hot shot, not hot shot, but a really good thorough In attorney. Depth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, really good. Mm-hmm. You have to have a really good engineer. Yeah. I mean, a really good engineer who understands zoning ordinances, who understands sewer capacity. Can you get water to the property? And so, and then, and then, you, I mean, if, if you're not going to get out there and sell the deal or build the deal, you got to have a really good builder partner and you need to have a realtor or somebody in your corner too, that can get out there and that understands that market has done a deal like that. And they can tell you, Hey, like your costs are this, the market's this, like you're not, there's no profit there. Yeah. You're like, going to be yeah, tight. You need a punt. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah don't, don't do this deal. And so you need to have just a realistic view of that. And what I see a lot of is, you know, people coming in and thinking that it's easy, number one, and, and trying to do a deal. And then it just it just sits there. Yeah. And right now, a lot of people are looking really, really smart, myself included. <laughs> right? we're, we're, I mean, come on, we're in Texas. Real estate is booming. Yeah. I mean, you really can't miss, quite honestly, Terrence. And so a lot of people look like geniuses when it's really just the market kind of making up for it. And we know what happens when the market turns. Exactly. Because it's a cycle. It, exactly. No yeah. doubt. No doubt. But I, I think that would be my advice is to build a really good team. Get around some people who've done done it before. Mm-hmm. Get a mentor, and especially in the development, I, I feel like, and, and maybe I'm wrong on this since I haven't bought uh, a bunch of houses and demoed them or remodeled them, but I feel like that's an easier, uh, less risky, um, less uh, you know error prone mm-hmm. approach than going yeah. and developing raw dirt. Yeah, that is very very risky. They're both two different games. It is. It requires yeah. a ton of capital, and you can really really mess some things up. And mm-hmm. if you buy a piece of property or you start a piece of property, and you get into it and you haven't checked all the boxes, I mean, you can sit there for years and years and years, and that and, and, and you know your property is getting a suntan at that point, mm-hmm. and you know you have bank bank debt on it or whatever, and it can be really really messy. And even me, I mean, we, we make mistakes on it all the time. We have a track really right around the corner, poured a ton of money into it. Um, and it sat there for two years. We, we uh, did not do our due diligence on it well. Mm-hmm. Got some really bad advice. It sat there. It yeah. sat there and it got a suntan for two years. And that, that's an, ex- an expensive well. mistake to make. Yeah. yeah. And luckily, you know, we're capitalizing away and, and home building is going well that we were okay. Yeah, but you can. If, that, if that's your deal, if you're, you know, cash in your 401k or whatever to go do that deal, you know, mama's not going to be happy when you come home and tell her that. It's not going to be an easy conversation. So really getting in there and really understanding it. But I think an attorney is, is crucial. And so many people try to try to save money on that. And I would highly discourage you from doing that. I would really get a good attorney and then a really good engineer. I think that's that's the team you need to really be a successful developer. And if you can find somebody who's done it before, even better. Yeah, that's good, bro. Yeah. So you know how when people are talking about commercial property and they say, oh, well, I need to be at this cap rate, right? Or when you talk about single family rentals and kind of the urban development, oh, I need to be at this rate of return. So people always kind of try to take a whole process of due diligence and strategy and team and they try to bring it down into like one component. I know that's tough to do in development, but if you were to say, okay, this is the one thing that I always double check, that's like my quick bird's eye view. I need to be at you know, if I'm going to do 100 lots, 300 lots or 10 lots, I need to be at 30,000 or whatever, right? What is that for you that you feel like is kind of a common thing for developers to look at? So kind of kind of some just just kind of some, some metrics that we just look a at. metric that you can say yeah. kind of like if I'm looking at a commercial building, I'm like, all right, if I'm about at Starbucks, I need to be at a six cap, right? Yeah, in order yeah. to for sure, in order for in order for to pencil for you. There yeah. you go. Yeah, and it's a little bit different for us because uh, we also build the houses. There you go. And so there's some deals, Terrence, where I won't make any money in the dirt, but I make it on the house. Mm-hmm. 
typically that's not what we try to do. We want to have two standalone companies. We want to have a development company that uh, that's also profitable same, same and, and, and it has been. But one thing, especially on a big development, typically you're not making any money phase one. You're mm-hmm. going in, you're having to bring utilities to it. You're going to probably have to build some big thoroughfare, especially if you're in, in, in College Station or, or Bryan. They, they, uh, they definitely like those. And so that's difficult. So there's a lot of upfront costs there. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we'll go into a deal like that where we're just, we're uh, basically just kind of breaking even, even on the lot, but then we know we're going to get it on the back end. Mm-hmm. What we try to hit is, uh, you know, a margin of about, about 25%. We're trying to hit a 25%, you know, gross profit margin on that. That's what I like to see. A to Z construction and dirt? Uh, or no, just no, dirt? Yeah, ju- yeah just, just the dirt part. Okay. Just and, the dirt part. And I know another question is going to come up. So obviously, because I get it all the time. When you own the development company and you own the building company, does your building company buy it from the development company just yes. like any other builder? Yes. That's what I always encourage people to do, but what they end up trying to do is pass it through, right? Yep. Yep. So could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and the reason, you know, and, and we've seen it in Houston happen, happen a lot where what ends up happening, if, if you don't do it that way, number one, you, you squeeze out the third-party developers because if you're putting it in as your cost basis, now nobody can come in and develop that lot and sell it to your home building company for what you can because mm-hmm. you're not making any profit on it. So yep. no third party is going to come in and do that. So you're almost working for free. Yeah, you are. You are. And we've seen a lot of the national builders in Houston do just that. And yep. it's really kind of messed that market up from from a land development, from a land development. Now, of course, a ton of people still do it. And there's huge master plan communities that are wildly successful, but it definitely makes things tricky. And, and especially because the the publics will, will pay more for the dirt as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're 100% right, Terrence. What we, what we want to do is we want to look at it standalone. Yep. And if we are putting in the lot at our cost basis, then you know we really can be hiding a lot of sins in our home building company. We can mm-hmm. be very inefficient at building houses, but maybe we're really good at, at developing the dirt, right? Mm-hmm. So we're making it on the dirt, not making it on the house. But if you go in, you develop the lot and you market to market, just like you could, you would buy it from a third party developer, then all of a sudden it keeps everybody honest. Yep. And so that's that's really what we do as well. That's what we've been taught. That's definitely best practice. If you're going to have uh, that risk and that capital invested in that project- It needs a return. It needs a return. It yep. does. It does. And otherwise, you know, you're just kind of hiding, hiding some sin somewhere else. Yeah, you know, you're good. not, you're not efficient somewhere else and you're not able to benchmark properly now. You're like, okay, you, you don't, it. you don't know where you're, where you're losing it. That's great. And so now I'm with you hundred percent there. That's definitely the way that we do it. And that's for sure. Best practice. Yeah. And I want to add that. So benchmarking is knowing the metrics, knowing the profitability, making sure you keep it separate, making sure you keep everything accountable and being able to track, right? Cause I always say, if you can't track your numbers, if you can't go back, because now at this time, most of my projects, I have a 12-year history on it. I can track a plan of what I've cost. So now if I want to pivot a little bit, okay, let's, instead of taking the stone all the way up or whatever, I have a benchmark because I know, you know, and so you're just saying that obviously in bigger terms, but having that benchmark to be able to keep up with that profitability. Yeah, no, no doubt. No yep. doubt. What we don't want to do is have our, you know, development company dilute our home building company as such where we cannot, we no longer can benchmark with our peers. Love it. And so that's something that, yeah, we, we really try to, we really value that. That's a nugget, man. That's good, bro. Yeah. Well, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep running. So okay. what's the most surprising lesson you've learned since you got into the industry? Like if you could go back to 09, right? Your 20 year old self and say, hey, you should know this. What would that be? What's that? What's that lesson? That number one lesson? I, if I went back to my 09 self, I'd tell, I'd tell myself to buy more. Yeah. Really <laughs> buy more real estate. Yeah. No, With my it, quote, it, I just it, said, buy land. They aren't making any more. Exactly. Because yeah. back then, man, it was at the bottom. And like I said, it, it made a lot of people look really, really smart. 
I think a lot of it would probably be, be more leadership type stuff. You know, mm-hmm. if I look back at my biggest mistakes, um, it's typically been putting people and really when it's, when it's hurt people, mm-hmm. um, is when I put people in positions that they're just not well suited for. Mm-hmm. And, um, it may not be that they're not well suited for that position, but they're not well suited for that position in our company because of how I operate. I'm a very, I'm, I'm really big picture. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so you're visionary. I, I am, I am. And, and I, I struggle with the details. I got about an hour worth of of detailed, intense work in me a day. And then once, <laughs> once that's done, I'm done. I'm done. But the people around me that I've surrounded myself have to be detailed because mm. if they're not, it's just not, it's not going to work for me because once I start seeing the details slip, I get really, really anxious. Mm. I do. I get really anxious because I feel like, man, we're, we're missing stuff here. And I'm kind of a guy and I love to go in and tweak things and to make things better. So I'm kind of like a, like a process improvement. You know, yeah. Kind give of, me the framework. Kind of geek. Exactly. Yeah, and I'll go in and shape it. Exactly. So I kind of, I kind of go into the company and say, okay, these are the two or three things this year we've got to get better on. And so, um, you know, kind of, kind of looking back at, at that, I think that's one thing I, w- I would tell myself is you got to have a really good process for hiring people and vetting people. And just because they're really good in one role doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be good in, in, in another role. That's probably been, if I looked at my biggest mistake and I've learned a ton from it. Putting people I, in the wrong seats. Yeah. It's been putting people in the wrong seats and just not having the foresight to be able to, to, to see that, Hey, this is, isn't going to be a good fit, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I've done that quite a few times Part with, you know, with, with internal promotions and then also hiring people from, you know, from, from, uh, you know, outside the company. No, that's good. And one thing we've never had any success with is hiring somebody that's highly experienced. Mm. If you have a ton of experience, typically for us. That is, that is not worked well. If you're coming from a, from a Pulte or a DR Horton or a Lennar and you know, you've, you've run all these, these divisions and done all this stuff. And, and we've done that some, we have a couple people within our company that that's worked out well for, but typically it, it, it is not. And it's mm-hmm. been, it's been just because we have a different culture, you know, and when people come in with kind of preconceived notions, um, it definitely can be, it can be difficult. And then I think the other thing that was one of the first lessons I learned is don't focus on top line growth. Mm. I mean, it is important. Growth is important. Sales are important, but do not focus on sales just for sales sake. And I, and I get it. Sales cures all evils. You hear all of these, mm-hmm. you hear all of these, uh, these, these mantras, but you know, talk about a peer group. We're involved with a group called uh, the builder 20 club. Yep. And what it is, is 20 builders through the United States, uh, really in different markets that do not compete. And we benchmark against them. And I remember going to the meeting, like so excited, you know, we did so well, we grew our company and I looked at our our numbers. I'm like, man, I mean, our, our net profit is like a third, like on, on a percentage basis of what these these other guys are doing. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, we're, we're growing, but we actually grew last year, but we made the exact same amount of money we did the year before. Like, yeah, that's tough. That doesn't make any sense. And so I really got in there and that's when I really started focusing on margin. And, um, and I think that's something that, you know, a lot of people uh, don't necessarily put the time into it. Um, and then another lesson, which this isn't a lesson that I've necessarily learned because I've, I'm just wired this way. I'm a finance guy. Mm-hmm. I love finance, but you've got to know your numbers. Yeah. You, and if if you do not know how to read a balance sheet and income statement, like turn this podcast off, turn on the podcast about <laughs> how to read a balance sheet and income, because that's what you need to learn. If you want to yeah. be a business owner, you have to learn balance the sheets. finance side of the company. Yep. You got to understand how do you capitalize something? You know, what is, what does your capital structure look like? What does your balance sheet look like? What does your income statement look like? What does that need to look like? And when, when are my costs out of line and get in there and have the tough conversations and because numbers don't lie, mm-hmm. numbers don't lie. Numbers really are the scorecard for business. And um, it's not just all about making more money, but if you're out there doing more work, 
and making less, making less, then guess what? You can't invest back in your people. You can't do a 401k. You can't do a profit share. You can't keep hiring people. You can't do trainings. You can't do really fun things for your employees that they enjoy. And so it's not all just about, you know, let's, let's make more money. Let's build, 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 build. It's also, you have to be successful in order to employ people. And mm-hmm. if you're not, if you're, if your margins are, are too skinny, then when the tide turns, you're going out of business and yeah. then nobody can feed their family. Yeah, that's good. And you got to look people in the eye and tell them, sorry, you don't have a job anymore. And that's the conversation I don't want to have. Nobody wants to have. I don't want to have that conversation. And so I make sure that we're very well capitalized and then I make sure that we're profitable and, then, and that we're really looking at those type of things. And we could drive more growth. We could take more risk. I mean, just because a bank will lend you money, it's another piece of advice. Just because a bank will lend you enough money does not mean you should take it. Mm-hmm. They will give you enough rope to, to hang yourself, especially in the home building business, the development business. We've seen it time and time again. And this is kind of one of those times where the banks are really being aggressive. And I love that because they get a good interest rate and yep. longer amortization and, and all that. And, and it, it's great. But at the same time, like still be, know your number. Just because they'll give you money does not mean that you should do it. Yeah, yeah that's good, bro. And um, yeah, so I think those are probably some of the some of the big ones uh, there, Terrence. I'm sure there's some more, but I'm, those are the ones at the top of mind. Those are the ones that jump out. Yep, no doubt. We've already talked about this a little bit. Where do you see in the real estate industry in the next 12 to 24 months the best opportunity? And you said it, building the BFRs, right? The yep. Built for rent, right? Yep. That's a big part. And you hit on it too. When we talked. I can't remember if it was on the podcast or when we were catching up before, but. People are fleeing to these rural markets. I mean, mm-hmm. people are moving out of these urban cores that everybody knows that big. Everybody talked about the urban core and how that was being reestablished. And I still think there's, you know, a business model there. And I'm sure it's going to still do well. But people are trying to get out. And as millennials age and they get married and they have kiddos, even before COVID, when you have kids, you want to be in a good school district. Yep. You just do. And you don't want to be in a, a high rise apartment um, in downtown Houston. You don't. It's, it sounds good. But, you know, man, you want, you want to be able to spread your, your wings out a little bit. You want to be able to let your kiddos go run out, run outside in the backyard. You want that two car garage. Uh, you want and you want you want the good school districts. Yeah. And so we feel like people are going to continue to kind of flock to some of these more rural markets. Um, and not not in crazy numbers, but we feel like a lot of those, like the Brenham, Texases and Huntsville, we're doing a deal in Caldwell. I'm not sure if I mentioned that earlier or not. And that's been doing very very well. People that's are awesome. trying to move outside, and they also realize, hey, I can work from home. I can work from home, so I don't have to be right next to my next to my job. And so I think that's even kind of in, encouraged some of that as well. No, that's good, bro. Well, I want to close the loop on one. So okay. obviously growing at 4X the business, that's a blessing in itself. A lot of hard work. Staff is almost triple. So what is 800 homes a year in volume? What, just a guess, just a range in volume. What is that about 800 homes that you're doing in, in total volume? Oh, so so revenue? Yeah, so about, just total volume. It's yeah. about two hundred million. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah it's, it's about two hundred million. Yeah, two hundred million. Man, yeah. that's awesome, brother. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're definitely uh, excited about that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hit on again, not to not to brag too much, but our net profit has definitely done more than four x. Like that's like awesome. I said, where our net our net profit at the beginning was just so skinny, and it was now, tough to scale. It, it it was it was, and so now that as as we've grown the company, not only has our top line grown substantially, but our bottom line has as well. And, and that's as a percent of sales. So we're excited about that too. And you said Builder 20. Most people may not know what that is. That's the National Association of Builders, kind of these mastermind groups with other builders. Yep. You got in one. It was more focused on production. Yep. What would be your couple of takeaways that you took away from being a part of that group, getting in that, you know, National Association Builder 20 group? For sure. I mean, I think the biggest for me would would be the finances. Okay. Knowing would, the finance. Would for sure be the finances. And then we just have been introduced to a lot of really good systems. Yeah. Um, and so we we partner 
with a ton of consultants who kind of come in and help us implement systems within our company. I'm not a big believer in reinventing the wheel. If somebody's doing it really well, then get them to come in there and uh, show it to you. Exactly. exactly. Pay for it, but yep. show it to you. Exactly. And it's paid it's paid dividends. So we've been introduced to a to a lot of really good systems throughout home building that have that have really been game changers for us. I would say probably that's one of the biggest things for me and probably was for you. We're the type of personalities where we'll figure it out on our own. Yeah. And when we were young and had the time, no kids, you could read a million books, you could pod, you know, you could watch podcasts. What I'm learning is I always say TBS, time best spent. Where's my time best spent? And yeah. if it's trying to sit down and spend six months to figure out something or hire a consultant who can teach it to me in 30 days, yeah, that's the shift that I'm having to make as a leader because my company is depending on me, the profitability of the company, my family being able to get home at night and not be here till two in the morning. Yep. So that's the shift that I'm seeing a lot of CEOs and business leaders are making. And it's tough for us as leaders out front because we have always been the smartest or one of the smartest guys in the room. Yeah. But what I'm learning now is if I'm always the smartest guy in the room, there's a problem. Yeah. And so that's awesome to hear you say that. Because you're not learning at that point. Right? Yeah, you're not growing. Yeah, you're not yeah. evolving. Yeah. And what, and what you said reminded me, you know, where can you buy time? If you can buy time, right? Yep. And that's what you're trying to do there. You know, you're not, you're not going to go do it all the work on yourself, but you're going to have somebody that comes in that does it. And now all of a sudden you have all that time to go do something that you're better suited for yeah, or spend time with your family or yep. whatever that looks like. Yeah. Really understanding your gifts. Yep. No doubt. Yeah. That's awesome, bro. So where are you investing your money right now? As a real estate entrepreneur, we're always like quoting Robert Kiyosaki talks about, we have to have a career, which is development yeah. and construction, but then our money has to have a career. Yep. Do you feel like that's in the investment properties of single family rentals? Yeah, no, it is. I'm looking to diversify probably in some some lower lower growth type stuff as well because I'm just so heavy in real estate. Same parents, here. It, it's ridiculous. And so um I'll be I'm being encouraged um on a number of fronts to start, you know, diversifying some. I and mean, not not I've definitely done some in the past, but mm-hmm. I need to do more of it. And so I'm, I'm gonna do some of that, but that's that's not really a lot of fun. Quite, yeah, quite, it's not honestly. it's but not yeah yeah I mean the, the fun stuff for me right now is leaving the profits in the company because uh, mm-hmm. Stylecraft is 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 really where where the money's made. Yeah, quite honestly. So really reinvesting money in that company, letting it sit there and cook, and just continue to turn and turn and turn, and then uh, the rental property as well. And, and one of the reasons I really like the rental property is, and it's, this was really back. Um, you know, we had a thirty nine percent tax rate, and I looked like, yeah, we, you know, we did really good this year, but we gave so much money, mm. you know, to the IRS, and it's it was kind of painful. And I thought, man, I've got to get in some some more tax efficient uh, type investments and single family rental rental is definitely that. And so that's really what kind of attracted me to it. And then from I'm a tax just, standpoint, exactly. And then you already got the machine in place to exactly. help you produce. It's a no brainer. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. That's good. Yep. No doubt. So technology, obviously there's all kind of innovation entering the real estate space. What would you say is your hack, right? What is that new technology that you're using to really kind of help grow your business? It might've been a consultant technology or whatever. What would you say that is? For sure. So uh, I'm I'm not a super techie guy, just honestly, and I'm, I'm not, I never have been bleeding leads either. I'm kind of more of a laggard. I'm gonna get somebody else in there to figure it out. But we do we do invest heavily in software, mm-hmm. and so um, we have a really good software system that we just implemented probably two years back. It was really expensive and took. I mean, really. And when I was talking to people, they said, "Look, Doug, like if you're gonna do this, flush a year, mm. flush a year. That that year is done. You're not gonna do anything else that year." I mean, Other course, than mess with the software. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. As far as like growth and improvement and that sort of thing, like just go ahead and just forget about that year. 
And that's what we did. And we have we have systems, Terrence, to where we know every two by four that goes in the house before we ever pour the slab. Like wow. we, or really before we ever start the house. So, so you're estimating as yeah, a machine. We have we have really, really tight budgets. Uh, we issue POs. We pay off of a PO. And so you don't invoice us. We pay off a purchase order. And then when that activity is complete on the schedule, when the superintendent clicks that the slab has been placed, it automatically pays the concrete. It automatically plays the slab labor. Wow, uh, you're automating so, it. Yeah, it's yeah, and it's, it's an ACH, you know, just direct deposit. So there's no paper check. And so those are the things that we've really, as a company, we've really worked on. Yeah, and on the software, you um, built it proprietary, right? So you just no, built it in-house. Yeah no, yeah, no, this is a third party. Oh, it's a third party. It's a third party software. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. makes sense. Cool, bro. So let's talk about you personally now. Okay. Because obviously as a real estate entrepreneur that you are, everybody's pulling at you. Everybody's wanting your time. And 160 employees, right? And that's not even all the subcontractors and the vendors and the list goes on of people who want your time. What are you doing to manage your time? And then what are you doing to invest back into yourself? Yeah. And so manage my time is definitely a struggle. Mm-hmm. But what what I try to do, Terrence, I try to do time blocking. Yep. And so Tuesday mornings from seven to eleven o'clock, I have a time block. That means that, you know, it's it's off limits. Like that's kind of my time. Yep. And I do the same thing on Wednesday. And I think the same thing on Thursday as well. So I have a I have a couple different times like that. And so I try to be really, really disciplined. So Mondays, it, it's meetings all day long. Mm. And literally sometimes it's, I have one at eight, I have one at nine, I have one at 10, I have one at 11, I have one, I have a lunch meeting, I have one at one. I, I mean, it's, and it's brutal. And after <laughs> Mondays, like you don't want to talk to me. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm done. I don't have any more words. I'm done. But, but you get might, out of the way for the week. Yeah. But some of you might say, Doug, like that's a horrible idea. And some days I think that, but I get it out of the way for, for the week. And it used to be I would spread it out over Mondays and Tuesdays. And both of those days are flush. I'm like, man, now I only have three days. I'm trying to fit all this other stuff in there. So it was kind of a scheduling nightmare. So I've really kind of focused on Mondays and really try to cram as much internal stuff there. Mm-hmm. And then like Tuesday, like I said, I'll have that time block. And um, and then I'll have meetings that afternoon if, if needed. And then Wednesday is kind of the same same thing. And then Thursday, like I have, I have a one lunch and I have one breakfast. And honestly, I haven't been doing that. So if you want lunch or breakfast with me, you get uh, Thursday. This Thursday. And if it's booked out a month, it's booked out a month. It is I'm what sorry. It is. Yeah. Let's get on a Zoom call. And I've really been honestly saying no to a lot of lunches and trying to jump on Zoom calls. And I'm a people pleaser. I want people to like me. I don't want people to think that I'm don't want to spend time with them because I do. But so COVID's kind of been a good excuse. Sorry, you know, Doug's <laughs> not taking in-person meetings because of COVID. Let's jump on a Zoom call type deal. So I've been kind of, I'm not sure what Lever- I'm gonna, You've been leveraging that. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm going to leverage after that, Terrence. So so we'll see. But yeah, and, and I'm kind of like you, man. I'm very, very bad at saying no. I'm involved in a lot of nonprofits and I love the work that I get to do with them. But man, it takes a ton of time. And typically on my way there, I'm thinking, oh my God, like, why did I say yes to this? Like, why did I sign yep. up to this? But when I leave, I feel like refreshed. I feel yeah. so good. It's I'm glad I went ahead gym, and did right? that. I'm glad I went ahead and did exactly. that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it is it is a big time commitment and it's it's huge. So for me, what's what's beneficial for for time management is to have it have it very I'm not very disciplined, so I need to build in the discipline. I need a system that has the discipline in there. My executive assistant, um, who's amazing, she schedules everything for me. Yep. Um, she keeps me on track. And so her job is to really manage manage my calendar. We need to get her and JC together. Yeah. Because yeah, JC's doing they, amazing they, for they me. They probably would trade notes. Yeah. yeah, yeah tell yeah. some war stories, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> and so, uh, but yeah, no, that's that's been great. And I need that discipline. And I need somebody there that kind of could be that buffer and that gatekeeper for me. And because my tendency is to say yes and to overcommit and just to just to do too much. And then investing in myself, Terrence, man, I'm a I'm a huge believer in that. You know, when when my wife and I got married, I think I told my father-in-law this as well when I kind of asked for her to, you know, for her hand in marriage. 
I told him, I said, look, I'm not perfect, but I will tell you this. Like when I screw up or I have a problem, I'm going to get some help. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to go and get some help and I'm going to rally around. I'm going to have people around me that are going to help kind of lift me up, you know, and whatever that is, you know, we all go through ups and downs in life yep. and uh, yeah, kind of, uh, you know, valleys and peaks. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I do executive coaching once a month. Um, actually, I, I, I've always struggled with anxiety. And so I go to a counselor mm-hmm. about once a month who helps you kind of with That's anxiety. That's good. Staying keep, on top of to that mental wellness. Check. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. My mental wellness. And then I'm involved with Young Presence Organization, YPO. And so that's another kind of professional development organization I'm involved in. And for me, I needed that outlet because it's hard to talk to my friends about some of the issues that I deal with at work. It's Mm -hmm. hard to talk to them about money. It's hard to talk to them about some of the stuff that that I struggle with. I have some friends that I can do that with, but YPO has been a really good outlet for that. Yeah, because we're all in that same game. Exactly. It's a different game. It is. It is. You know, I struggle with that with my brothers or sisters or cousins because the entrepreneurial space, it never stops. Yeah. And the, the clock doesn't go off. You don't get to check out at five o'clock. Yeah. You got to force yourself to check out, but you can work seven days a week, Non-stop. sun up to sun down. And you never would be done. Yeah, yeah. E- exactly. And so that's been a really good outlet and something very, very healthy for me um, to kind of be be surrounded by some people that are in similar situations that, that are young and kind of growing companies and then yeah. have families too, because that's another thing that's difficult. Like not only are you trying to juggle, you know, the, the demands at work, but you know, I, I have two kiddos and mm-hmm. I want to be an awesome dad. And, and I mean, I really, really want to make sure that I spend enough time with them and I want to be a good husband to my wife. And, you know, and, and, and it can be a struggle as you know, when you come home and you're just wiped out you wiped know? out. Yep. And it's and it, it can be difficult. And sometimes I can get hyped up and play with the kiddos. But then after that, I'm not even talking to my wife. You know, I'm just like, look, babe, I'm done. I'm sorry. And she probably feels the same way, quite honestly, after wrangling them all day. So, so and she's kind of an introvert like me. So sometimes that's not always a always a bad thing. But y'all found that balance. Exactly. Well, exactly. I, one of the things I had a guy tell me one day, he said, um, they can find another broker or CEO of TM5, but your wife and your kids can't create another husband and a no dad. Doubt. No and doubt. it's like, that really hit me in the face years back. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I got to start managing my energy. I got to start managing yeah. my time. Because I remember when I was young and hungry and I had no track record of success and I would see guys that were doing what we're doing now and I would want to get on their calendar and try to get yeah. in front of them. And they'd say, Terrence, uh, here's a couple of books. I can't really get to you. And, and at times I'm like, man, you don't have 30 Come minutes, yeah. but I get it now. Yeah. You know? Because that's 30 minutes they wouldn't be able to spend with their, their kiddo. Yep, exactly. And you got to choose. Yep, and especially as our kids are getting older. My 10-year-old, 6-year-old, and 4-year-old, they're not babies anymore yep. where you can just put them in the bed and they take a yep. nap. They're demanding more yep. attention. Yep. And you only have so much time to, to, to have, have that influence. Yeah, that's good. For sure. Because it goes quick. No, it, you know, it certainly does. So you sent the book in. You know, I've, I always ask all my guests to come and bring a book, Yeah. right? There's a million books out there, but what's that one book or two books that you brought and you brought the snowball? Tell me why. So and it, it's interesting because I never see this on anybody's list. And for me, it, it's more about the business concept. And so number one, I love Warren Buffett. I always have. I just think he's he's so contrarian and the advice he gives is not typical. And so and I've read, you know, Poor Charlie's Almanac by Charlie Munger. And I've read all the annual letters. I mean, that's it. And so and the snowball is not an autobiography, but a biography. And I love biographies. I love reading about people. I think there's Business books sometimes to me can kind of become a little dull, mm-hmm. uh, but a biography to me really keeps my attention. And then I learn the concepts through the story, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. And so yep. the concept I've learned through the snowball, and Terrence is kind of what, what you got at earlier. can't remember the quote that you said, but how's your money making money? And so what, what he's been able to do and what he's so successful at and what, I, what I'm trying to do in my own life is uh, what he talks about is you want companies, you want businesses that uh, that that flip off cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. You want you want a lot of cash. Yep. 
And but what you want is you want companies that don't require a ton of investment back in them. Mm. And then you take that cash, you go buy other investments. Yep. And then those flip off more cash flow and those don't require a lot of capital expenditures. And then you invest that and you invest that and you invest that. And then then it's it's a snowball. Unfortunately, uh, home building is not one of those businesses. (laughs) Home building, I have to constantly put cash cash back in. But guess what? Red Door Homes is not. Mm -hmm. I do not have to put a ton of cash back in Red Door Homes. So now you can leverage there. Exactly. Rental properties. Once you buy it, you got to put some cash in when you buy it. It cash flows itself. But I mean, so does Warren Buffett when he buys a company. He's got to put cash in it. In each house, you look at it as its own individual business, right? Mm -hmm. And so once you you put that initial investment in the house, it's just going to constantly either pay down debt or, and then eventually once that's all paid up, it's going to flip off a ton of cash flow. Then yep. what do you do with that? You go buy more rental property or more businesses or whatever. And so that was a concept that I really picked up. And he did that with, you know, Geico and some of the insurance companies and with the amount of float that those businesses generate, you know, you, you pay your premium and the idea ideally is to make a profit on that premium. But even if you break even, you take all those premium dollars, you're able to invest that for a year. Yep interest-free. Like no, they're not expecting, you know, any money back from that. You know, all you got to do is make sure that your insurance premiums cover your, your claims. And as long as that happens, you get to use all of that money for free and go invest it. And that's why he loved the insurance business. Yeah. And he's done really well in it. Exactly. And done really, really well. And then also leverage those dollars to go buy different businesses and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, the rest is history. Man, that's so, a great nugget. And, so, you know, it's just, and it's the so exact- snowball with Warren Buffett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You that's got good, it. bro. That's good. Well, man, I want to close, man, with a final thought. What would you want to leave our listeners and our audience with? The biggest thing, Terrence, is, man, if, if you're struggling, get help. Yeah. If you're struggling with something, get help. And if that's in business, get help. Yeah. If you don't know to read a balance sheet and income statement, go get with somebody that does. Mm-hmm. If you're struggling with mental illness or drug addiction, go to rehab, get a 12-step program. Yeah. If you're struggling with anxiety, go to a counselor, mm-hmm. get some help. Like, don't suffer alone. You're not the only one. Don't suffer alone. There's so many people around you that are willing to help out and willing to, um, professionals or even friends, like, yep. you know, and and I think that's really what's led to a lot of my success is I have a really good friend group that holds me accountable in my spiritual life and mm-hmm. in, in my family life and with my kiddos. I have a really good peer group that holds me accountable at work. I have a really good counselor that holds me accountable. And so I have all these people. You're not carrying the burden I'm by not, yourself. I'm not. And I know myself, Terrence. I, I'm not disciplined enough. I'm not disciplined enough. I do not have, if I do not have people in my life that I know I'm going to see next week and they're going to ask me if I did this. Mm-hmm. And if that's not there, it's not going to happen. The same thing about working out. I got a guy that comes to my house at six o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays, mm-hmm. works me out for about an hour. If he didn't come to my house you on Tuesdays work out. and Thursdays, I wouldn't work out. Yeah. It wouldn't happen. Yeah. And so I know I'm not disciplined enough. So guess what? I structure the discipline. I make it happen. I structure the discipline in my life and it makes it easy for me. I only have so much discipline. Yep. And unfortunately, it's getting spent at work. And when I come home, I'm not going to the gym. Yep. But when that dude, when when Cody comes and knocks on my door, rings my doorbell, I'm not going to sit up. I'm not going to let him sit there on the on the front porch. That's kind of awkward, right? I'm not going to do that. So just the pride in me, if nothing else, is going to go answer the door and go out there and get a workout in, you know? And I think that's a great final thought is structure the discipline yep. in your life, in your schedule. Put those accountability partners in place. And I always say some people ask for the accountability, but then they won't give the accountability partner the leeway to say, you're out of line, yeah, man. Come on. And then they're mad at you. Yeah. 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 You're out of line. Yeah. And the one thing I want to close with, you know, I went through depression when I got paralyzed, had the neck injury. It's real. Yeah. And I think as men, especially strong men, leaders, people who are explorers by nature and want to achieve, they always think we got to have it all figured out. And we don't. Yep. And it's okay to say, Doug, man, I need you, bro. 
Exactly. Hey man, I need, I need to, I need to come see you. Uh, let's go to lunch. Uh, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I, cause the thing that I've learned is you're not alone. Yep. Whatever you're going through, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what illness, what mental illness, whatever it is, there's somebody else that you know who's going through it. They're just probably afraid to bring it up just like you are. Yep, exactly. And guys put them in your life for a reason. So man, thank you so much, bro. There's so much wisdom in this. Look at my notes. <laughs> <laughs> so man, but yeah, we're excited to put this podcast out. It's going to be amazing, bro. Thank well, Terrence, you so much. It's been a blast, man. Love I, you, I appreciate you having me. Love yeah, you too, man. Yeah, Thanks, appreciate Terrence. It. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. Please subscribe on whichever platform you are listening and consider leaving a five-star review as that will help us gain traction and continue to bring you knowledge in the real estate industry. For more content, head over to terrencemurphy.com.